Welcome back to another Youth Centered Podcast. Rick Gorman from the YC here today. Uh, today I have a special young man that's going to come in and talk to us. Um, his name is Sean Scully. A lot of people in town uh, know Sean Scully. And Sean is coming in as a follow-up to many podcasts I've done around culture. And as people that have been following our podcast, uh, I've had everybody from Connor Meehan, a, a great culture advocate at the high school, um, Andy Van Horn, a teacher, educator, sports guy who also has great culture perspective. Uh, Steve Boudreaux, Tuxbury's head coach, former North Andover captain, um, and he's doing some great work with culture over in Tuxbury. Uh, and what we're talking about is type and talking to adults about this um, over the last you know year and a half of doing some culture podcasts. And we said, you know what, we gotta we gotta get more of a player's perspective on this. So. Um, it is no secret that a very opinionated senior at North End of a high school, uh, some people will say that he is never wrong or thinks he's never wrong, but what I love about him is he's opinionated, he actually does research before he really says some things, uh, and he's offered to come in to give us a player's perspective. So my guest today, senior at North Andover High School football player, Sean Scully. Sean, thanks for coming on the Youth Centered Podcast. Thank you for having me, Rick. We're really looking forward to this. Uh, I heard a lot of the kids downstairs dying to see if this comes up. So uh, you always do have some good perspective on stuff. You make a lot of people, including myself, think with some of the things that you do say. Uh, and as, as you and I know, we, we've battled on many subjects and uh, good healthy battles, but whether it be um, culture, politics, um, you know, things in town, et cetera, et cetera. So, Sean, for maybe the one or two people that don't know you in North Andover, who is Sean Scully? Uh, well, Sean Scully is a senior at North Andover High School. Uh, I play baseball and football. Uh, I went to the Franklin Elementary School. I have three siblings. My sister Emma, who's a sophomore, my other sister Caitlin, who's in seventh grade, and my brother Luke, who is in fourth grade. So you're the big brother, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your history here at the Youth Center as we as we progress with the podcast. But let's get started. Again, the topic is going to be a little perspective from the kids as, as opposed to adults and coaches and parents that we've had on in the past. Um, so let's just start off with, you know, how were you introduced to youth sports in that elementary school level? And, you know, what were the sports you played? Uh, and if you can talk a little bit about what sports were like to you, like why did you get involved with sports and what was the experience like? Yeah, so uh, I was introduced to sports through my dad, my uncles, my grandfather. Uh, my dad played basketball and baseball in high school. My uncle played uh, football and baseball at Bentley. So, I mean, it's always kind of been a big part of my life, and it was kind of a uh, natural introduction to it. So my dad and I would go out and we'd play catch in the backyard. Uh, we'd play catch at the beach. We'd do it all the time. So that's kind of how I got introduced to sports. Um, baseball is really my first love. I played that uh, t-ball really as soon as I could, and that was my, like, favorite sport. Um, I really couldn't get enough of it. Uh, then I kind of got into basketball, which, as you know, I'm not really the best. I wasn't the best basketball player, but I did enjoy it. Um, started that in fourth grade, played in town all the way through eighth grade. Uh, and then, of course, I started playing football as soon as I could, and that kind of took over as my favorite sport. Um, I've loved all the seven years I've played football, eight coming up this winter. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it 
went in elementary and middle school. So obviously, like with most typical families, um, you know, you throw the ball around with dad, dad gets you, or mom gets you involved early on. And uh, obviously, your father is a sports guy. He played uh, basketball for Charlie Mickle over at Chelmsford, correct? That was correct, yeah. Yeah. And uh, obviously, when he has kids, he starts to introduce them probably naturally to sports. And then kids naturally join to sports with maybe peers that are joining something. So take me to that elementary. You played, you played t-ball. You played some basketball. Um, so in those formative years of your first experience, um, did you do it to have fun? Did you do it to be with your friends? What was the reason you think you did it? You know, I'm talking more like first, second, third, fourth grade. Uh, well, yeah, I guess it was kind of being with my friends. I mean, my whole life I've been a competitive person too, like almost to a fault. I've been uber competitive. Um, so that kind of got me into it. Of course, it was fun to play with friends and have friends on your team, but I mainly played because I enjoyed it a lot. Um, so that kind of really drove me to play, and yeah. So tell me a little bit about, so when those first years, whether it be t-ball into Little League or youth basketball, I, I know you were in the – fourth grade league here that played at the youth center tell me a little bit about the dynamics that you first experienced in terms of coach player relationships uh peer peer relationships you know what was the experience like um you know we we hear stories that kids had wonderful experience we hear we hear stories that kids didn't have wonderful experience what was your experience like well my experience was terrific i mean for me i was always uh kind of uh more, uh, I just have always been able to connect well with adults. So even as like a third and fourth grader, I always had really good relationships with my coaches. Um, they've kind of, I've always kind of loved that um, smart, uh, that like technical part of the game, like um, behind the scenes stuff. So I kind of, I think most of my coaches really appreciated that for me growing up, like in baseball um, situations and stuff like that, football, the X's and O's, plays, like that stuff I've always been really fascinated with and I think that they appreciated that because uh, I used that my knowledge that I had and I kind of helped my teammates out with that uh, whether it be whether they didn't know what to do on a play like I'll never forget Kevin Breen in his fifth grade playbook he probably had 35 plays and I would look over that constantly I knew what every single person was doing on every single play um, so stuff like that uh, really helped me with my coaches with my peers uh, I, I just always tried to be connectable, not to be someone that is seen as thought that they better uh, were better than they were, like someone that the worst kid on the team could have a relationship with, but at the same time, the best kid on the team could have a relationship with. Um, so that's really kind of what I tried to do uh, in my younger years and what I still try to do today. So you're in the elementary school, and then you head into middle school, and, you know, again, you talked to us a little about the sports we're playing. Um, would you, you know, you say it was a terrific experience. Were there situations that um, you saw that were really good in terms of culture? Like, and I'm not sure how much, you know, we, we do a lot of work with culture, with high school programs and college programs. Uh, I don't think a tremendous amount of work is done with culture workshops at the elementary and the middle school, but it's kind of organically grown. You know, it's a, it's a teacher or a coach that maybe has some really good experience with team building and things like that. What was that like? And did you see signs of that, you know, building a culture or, you know, whatever it be, you know, you know night pride or whatever? Yeah, definitely. For me, the biggest uh, team with that was actually my um – 11-year-old, 11 11- and 12-year-old show team uh, headed by Peter Rodelski, who you know, Steve Remley, Tim Finn. 
uh, and that team was, uh, it really was some of the best years of my life. And I mean, every single kid on that team will tell you how much fun we had playing. And uh, we, we really weren't the best team. I, I mean, we were a good team uh, because we played together. I mean, we all played so effortlessly together and it meshed just so well. And AAU, especially nowadays, you sometimes get these forced teams, uh, the super teams, of course, uh, back in the day where it's supposed to be the best ever team. And then they, the kids just don't go together because none of them are friends and none of them work. And my team, I, I don't know what it was about it, but it was a combination of, uh, since I'm a June birthday, I get to play. I Played down. Played right? down, yeah. yeah. So uh, it was a combination of, at the time, sixth graders and fifth graders. And they were the kids that I'd known growing up in elementary school. And it, it just, it was a team that, everyone enjoyed from parents to to the even when we got new people in 12 year olds I mean people just loved being on that team and it was just the best it was just a fun team to be on because you spent every weekend from March all the way to August together and everyone on the team parents siblings I mean it was really just one big family and that was something that I don't think many people get to really experience with AAU nowadays and uh, it was just awesome that's great. So, you know, you started to see obviously some team dynamics. And again, we're hearing from you that your experiences have been great at that lower level. Tell me about you get to high school. Now, high school is a whole different ball game, right? So I think I'm hearing you play that you're a football, baseball guy with, you know, football being your main sport. Um, what's it been like playing sports at the high school level? Well, it's been enjoyable as well. Um, we started off with, of course, freshman football was my first kind of uh, introduction to high school sports, and uh, that uh, really wasn't kind of what I expected, if that makes sense. It kind of was a different, to- it was like totally different uh, than kind of the youth that we'd grown up with. My coach was Frank Keneally for three years, and we had kind of gotten in such a rhythm um, that it kind of was a big shift that freshman year, and uh, I mean, we were a good team. We we're in the super uh, one game away from the Super Bowl my eighth grade year, and then we went seven and four freshman year, which we shouldn't have. And it was just kind of I think everyone had difficulty adjusting to that new kind of atmosphere, I guess. Um, and then I went into freshman baseball in the spring, and that really went really well. Uh, Steve, Bis- uh, Coach Bissett, and Coach Breeden uh, for the freshman team, and that was a fun team. That's when I really figured out I loved high school sports. Uh, the bus rides, being together, um, and it was a team that kind of kept me going in baseball. Um, I kind of, eighth grade, I didn't really play AU for the first time in years, and I didn't really know where I was going to go with baseball, and that freshman team kind of reintroduced me to it, um, which was awesome, and then going to sophomore year, we had that Super Bowl football team. That's when I figured out that I loved high school football. Uh, that team was just awesome. And I loved every minute of it. Of course, it ended with the state championship, but that's kind of where I figured out that love for football. Unfortunately, that year I did get, I partially tore my MCL, and I missed six weeks of that season. Um, And then baseball, my sophomore year was JV, Coach Polano. That was another awesome team uh, that drove kind of my love for baseball even more. So let's talk a little bit about, you you talk glowingly, um, and I, I, don't pretend to know all the ins and out of the football program and, and culture. 
Uh, but you spend a lot of time talking to me about what you de determine is the very strong uh, culture by uh, Coach Dubzinski's football program. So tell me why you rave about it and wh what, what sets it apart in your mind. Again, this is one person's opinion, but what is your opinion in terms of the culture? Well, I think our culture is one where we block out the outside noise. I mean, we care about what people in our program think, um, what our coaches think, what players think of the program, how comfortable they are, um, what we feel about each other, really. And that's kind of what makes it so successful and kind of, in my mind, in the terms of uh, what you could say might be some backlash from other people. Um, inside the football pro uh, program, Dubs has really done a great job with accountability. Every person in that program is held accountable. It doesn't matter if you're the star player and it doesn't matter if you're on the bench. You're expected to be accountable for what you do for the team. Um, and I think that programs like that just really kind of are able to thrive because without accountability, it's just a free-for-all. And our coaches hold us accountable, but we also, Coach Dubs has um, made sure that we hold each other accountable. And we're not afraid to say, hey, we got to fix this. Let's do this. Stuff like that. Uh, and I think that's what makes it so successful. Also, it's a culture of kind of openness, so to say. Like, we are comfortable with each other. We're a family. We could tell whatever we want to whatever person, and they're not going to hold you differently. I mean, every single person on that team is a brother, basically. And that's kind of the f culture that Dubs has created and why it's uh, so successful why you see this successful teams year after year I mean we've been in the north final four years in a row or three years in a row uh, and without being a family that would never be possible so you talk about the accountability you talk about the openness what are some other things that maybe your program the coaching staff coach dubs is there anything specific that you can mention around that sets that culture apart besides the openness and accountability you talked about? Are there even activities? Are there even, you know, things that you do that are just, you know, it could be even symbolism type things. What, what are some of the things that you maybe do culture-wise in football? Uh, well, our biggest thing, which I don't know if we're going to be able to do this year, is usually our Thursday pasta parties. I mean, the captain's parents organize it. A different family does it every week. And those were really the times where, it's it, it was like a big bonding experience for everyone. I mean, seniors and sophomores, juniors and sophomores, juniors and seniors, everyone kind of gets a, it. Everyone is uh, together on that. And it's, of course, the day right before the game, usually every Thursday after I walk through practice. And it is kind of just the, uh, I don't know, it's just the big culmination of our tough week of practice. Um, I mean, we, we get after it in practice. And you have to if you want to be successful you have to have competition you have to have tough competition and then it's kind of just the, any animosities that develop during the week uh, on Thursday that's where you come together and you say alright now we're going against them and you kind of get into it and you get ready for uh, the Friday night game let me ask you um, the program under coach Dubzinski has been um, and you would know better than me but very successful I think you mentioned going to the the North Finals or the North Semifinals, four straight years. Obviously, we won a Super Bowl, which is something that has not happened before um, in recent memory. Um, tell me something. If 
is wins and losses a big difference? Like, what if the team wasn't successful? Do you believe it would still have the same culture? Well, I do, and we saw it last year. We started off one and three. Correct. I mean, we were a team that had won 13 straight games, I believe, and we lost our first one in Marblehead, a home game. Uh, we came back the next week with Lowell and throttled them 42-14, but then we dropped two to Central and Tuxbury. And Central was a game where in the third quarter we didn't get the ball past our own 50-yard line, but we were still within one score at the end of the game. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of – it doesn't really matter if we get knocked down. We're going to come back up. And Tuxbury was a really tough game for us last year, and then we rattled off five straight wins and went to the North Final. And we're one went away from Gillette Stadium for the second straight year. So um, is there some soul-searching? Was there some soul-searching in those two weeks? Yeah, for sure. But that's what you have to do, and it's because of that openness that we were kind of able to figure it out and say, all right, let's get it together. Here we go. Get rolling. And we did. And So you – you know, you mentioned a lot about the football program, but even going back earlier with other sports you played, um, and I don't have a problem if you mention these people by name, but what would be some of the coaches that you thrived under? Um, and tell me what maybe characteristics um, describe that person. Well, when I first think about uh, even over the past couple of years, uh, I've been lucky enough to play Legion and Pony Baseball with Jacob Bodwin, and that really was... Uh, that first year I played, I think I was 13. I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. Brian's my friend, and it's my friend's brother. But what he's been able to do with our team is, I mean, we've had extreme success in Legion. We've been, uh, we've gone to the semifinals, I think, three straight years, and that too. And that's not a team of varsity players. That's a team of sub-varsity players, people that kind of have been, I don't want to say doubted, but you could say doubted. And that team, uh, with Jacob, he allows us to have allows me specifically to have such an input that it makes it successful I guess I mean I'm able to and he'll uh, say it sometimes I mean I'll be the first one to say why'd you take this kid out of the game or why'd you do this why'd you do that and it kind of keeps him in check but he keeps us in check at the same times and he's the first one to say you need to pick it up and uh, for me that's kind of the perfect coach for me and dubs is like that as well i mean uh we he's just so they both are just so open and accepting of players ideas and how to make the team better they're not going to stand on their soapbox and preach down to others like they're both so open to um kind of suggestions and how to make their teams better so that's a commonality between john and jacob yeah big commonality and uh, as you know, Jacob was on our podcast in the past, um, and obviously he's a young kid, right? Brian's not too much older brother um, who loves youth sports and is involved. And we had him on a podcast to talk about his mentoring program and obviously the stuff he's done with youth sports. So it's obviously someone that um, has been a pretty good connection for you, it sounds like. Um, without using any real situations, you've talked um, – a little bit about you know why programs maybe struggle with culture so what's your take on that from either an observing standpoint or just some history aspect um, why do some teams struggle with culture well I think the biggest reason and especially at the high school level um, it, it's comes down to player coach relationship and uh, when coaches don't have that kind of year-long open relationship with players it's kind of uh, 
and it's kind of a turnoff. People don't really want to play for that coach. You dread going to practice. You dread doing things, and it just kind of makes people not want to play, and rumors spread off of that. I mean, uh, there is something to be said about kind of a rumor um, and when it comes to a sport and the enjoyability of it. Like, uh, if you hear that playing a specific sport isn't fun, people don't want to play, and then people that are actually doing that sport they kind of hear that rumor too and then they think well this isn't fun I don't want to play um, and that's kind of the biggest problem that I see another one would be uh, peer leadership whether that be from seniors or juniors upperclassmen or just people in general on a freshman team or say uh, when there's no kind of when there's not someone or a couple people that are willing to kind of take the reins uh, everyone just kind of plays afraid and you see that those teams really aren't successful because they they just they're just play afraid like they just can't motivate themselves and it, it's probably one of the bigger that and the coaching relationship are probably the two biggest things that I see when it comes to struggling with culture. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, ironic. I I as you know, I'm an avid tweeter. Um, I actually tweeted something today that I honestly believe in. I'm I'm a big proponent of player player coach relationships and how important it is, but. Uh, to me, it's the most important thing, and it's the most thing that matters down the road. Uh, ten years from now, people are going to remember the player-coach relationship as opposed to, you know, just wondering how many wins they had together. The second thing is you mentioned about peer leadership, which is an interesting thing for me. So full disclosure, I am not a believer in captains. Um, I think captains, naming captains is a little bit of an archaic thing. I'm looking for more leadership, peer leadership. Um, and whether that comes from the obvious one would be seniors, right? Um, but, you know, leaders can also be freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. And football, you know, probably, you know, unless it's an elite player, it's probably your juniors and seniors and mostly your seniors. And I would say that's true with most sports. But my take is that um, sometimes captains end up being a little bit alienating to the rest of the team where I'm looking for more leadership. You know, what's your take on, it sounds like you agree that peer leadership is important. Ways, do you have ways in your mind of how you can improve getting good, strong peer leadership within a sports program? Well, I, I think you just have to let it develop naturally sometimes. I mean, um, sometimes I agree when you name captains, you kind of, especially if it's someone that may not be the most popular on the team. Uh, I, I think voting for captains is a much better way than naming because I think naming you um, kind of alienate people like you said that maybe we're hoping to be captain and I think it's important when you have people kind of state their case uh, for why they think that they should be but what about what about voting being a popularity contest well to that extent it can be sometimes and I think that that's where you run into problems too but I, I think if you have a combination of both almost to an extent I mean I think if you are uh, uh, good observer, I think you can kind of tell who people gravitate towards naturally, and I think that usually that in is the indication of a leader, and I think that that's kind of um, maybe somewhere, and you can really see that uh, in sophomores. I think it's important to develop leaders over the years, uh, and that's something I think that, again, Coach Dudzinski's done, is he's been able to um, take uh, the kids in my grade under his wing as sophomores. And I think that that's important and able to grow uh, the program and grow his relationship with them over the years, and it makes them even better leaders. 
Yeah, and the reason I'm, you know, before everybody thinks I just can't stand the fact that we named captains, I just believe there are more leaders than one, two, three, and I think in your case in football, I think you told me there's five captains this year. Um, I also know there's probably 15 seniors on the program that have captain schools, skills, including yourself. Um, and my question is that, you know, I think the more people you can build as leaders and peer leadership and the whole thing, you develop your program. So I always talk about that. It's really not about a team. It's about the program. Mm -hmm. And I believe in building a program. And I, you know, I see it even in our own town. There's some programs that have very good cultures as other ones that probably need a little boost in their culture and then there's still others that you know don't have a great culture and they need to kind of continue to work on that so the whole thing is the what i look at is player ownership uh, and when i say player ownership what does that mean to you well it means players taking control and it means it's um really just taking uh like being proactive and um coming out and kind of just taking charge and not Kind of sometimes maybe acting without coach instruction, getting captain's practices ready, off-season workouts, um, maybe even just like a trip to a restaurant or something as a team. Something just because uh, I think it's important when building a culture that you build it outside of the team. You go watch a game in someone's basement. You do stuff outside because uh, then you're able to build relationships that really are able to get even better when it's on the field or on the court or on the ice. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that it's important in that way to do extracurricular stuff with your teammates and create that family atmosphere. Yeah, and there's lots of things you can do. I probably should ask this question early on because you've somewhat answered it, but I'll throw it out in here. Why is team culture important to Sean Scully? Well, I mean, first of all, I, I like to win. Uh, I, like I said earlier, I'm competitive in really everything I do, whether that be even manhunt in the third grade or whether it be football in the 12th grade. Uh, I do everything that I can to win. I like to win. And you can't – it's very challenging to win with a bad culture. And I think that in order to win, you have to have a good culture where everyone feels accepted, where it feels like a family. And so when it comes to me, I mean, I think that that's so important that – like a team culture is good. It's one where it's just a fun time for everyone. And when it's fun, you create friends off of that. Uh, I mean, there are teams that I've been on where I've known barely any kids. But because that it was just a fun team culture and a fun team, uh, I've created some great friends off of it. Absolutely. All right, you're part of the YC. Uh, what do you do here? Let it, let our listeners know. What does Sean Scully do? I, I, knew, I know that about six times a day I have to tell you to get away from the front desk and stop going to get another bottle of water that you bring in every day with yourself. But tell people uh, what are some of your job uh, responsibilities here and your relationships with some of our young members? Uh, well, it's I got my first break at the YC uh, my at the end of my sophomore year. I got hired for Drum and Summer Fun, so I did that my sophomore year, and then I just did it uh, this past summer uh, at the youth center during the school year. I started that last December. Um, and then continued that this fall due to no football and this winter due to I, I don't have a winter sport. So uh, I run flag football. I, run, I ran cricket in the fall. Uh, I've done open gym stuff, awesome dodge, um, so games like that. Yeah, you do a little bit of everything around here, and you do a good job. Um, 
expect, except for that outspoken girls cohort on Saturday afternoons, uh, you're a big fan. Uh, the kids are all a big fan of yours, and I, I know deep down that girls cohort actually was a big fan of you, but they like to, they like to tease you a little bit. Um, you've known since you started here, and it is known to anybody that starts here how important culture here for me is the at the youth center. Um, and quite frankly, if if people can't buy into the culture here, it's it's not going to be a good match. So uh, I believe you have bought into our culture. But what's your perspective on being part of this YC family and the YC culture that we have here? Uh, well, it, it really is hard to understand uh, until you are part of it. Uh, I remember my sophomore year at that 12-hour training. Um, it, it's kind of like a blur to you to an extent because there's so much – I mean, you do a lot of talking about it, and you kind of talk about things that you're like, uh, that at the time you, you really don't understand, and you can't really comprehend what it, it means. And then uh, I think really at the end of that first summer is when I kind of got it, but I, I would say I haven't really got it a thousand percent until this fall. I mean, excuse me, until the end of last summer and into this fall. I mean, it, it's just a unique culture where you can't, you can't describe what it means you know that you can that you have um, a ton of supporters here and you know that everyone would do anything to help anyone and it's a place really uh, unlike any other in town where you have that type of atmosphere yeah I mean we, we take great pride in it and we evolve the culture every single day every single season um, and you have added to the culture here uh, we joke about, we tease you a little bit about, you know, how opinionated and outspoken you are and stuff, but you've made all of us think about things a little bit, and I think that's what I love about here is everybody has a voice, everybody has an opinion, um, not everything is going to be totally taken in, but at least we have an open mind to see how to continue to to work on our culture, and obviously you're, you're a big part of that and will continue to be a big part of that. Let's talk a little personal. You're a senior at the high school, funky year. All my podcasts this year have been telling you I really feel bad for the class of 2021. Felt bad, real bad for the class of 2020, but the class of 2021 has had no senior year, in my opinion. I mean, we're, we're doing the best we can. We're adding things in there. It's nice that we've had sports to a certain degree, but you've missed out on a lot of things. But you will graduate this June, and hopefully, unlike last year, you'll have a normal graduation, a normal senior week, maybe even a prom. We'll see. Keep our fingers crossed. Things are starting to look a little brighter. Uh, but what is the uh, what is the graduation, post-graduation plans for Sean Scully? Uh, well, of course, they plan to go to college. Um, I've heard back from a couple schools. I'm waiting to hear from Clemson, Florida, Syracuse, UMass, UConn, uh, Bentley, and Providence. I'm waiting to hear from. Um, so I plan to major in finance. Uh, I am very interested. I like the stock market a lot. I look at it every day. I have stocks that I look at. Uh, as of now, knock on wood, doing pretty successful. But um, So I plan to do that and then Hopefully, my end goal is to work at a hedge fund when I'm older, uh, whether that be in Boston or on Wall Street, wherever. Nice. And you got a, you got a good plan, and obviously, finance is in your future. Uh, I'd like to pick your brain. We'll, we'll get into discussions about different things. And uh, you're very educated. One thing I do like about you, Sean, is you don't shoot from the hip. You do a little bit of research on stuff, and uh, and then you'll you'll have no problem talking to an adult. Uh, 
I joked around to people that you're 18 going on 50. Um, sometimes I think you have better conversations with adults than even some of your peers. Um, but again, you, you really enjoy talking about a variety of different subject matters. All right, so 10 years from now, 20, so what am I, 2031, okay? 10 year reunion. Come back here and hopefully we'll be back to obviously normal reunion time around Thanksgiving. Ten year reunion, you, you know, Max Wolfgang, Brett Dunham, your whole crew, you know, Jake Walensky and stuff. Where is where is Sean Scully gonna be in twenty thirty one? Well, my goal is to be the most successful person in the room. I mean, that's <laughs> kinda what I wanna be at that high school reunion. Uh I wanna be seen as or not seen, but I wanna be that person that's done the most, really. Um and then I also want to be someone that people can come up to and have a conversation with because I had a good relationship with them. I mean, I strive to uh, be approachable to every person. I mean, I, as you can, as you know, I like to talk, so I <laughs> really appreciate a conversation with anyone. And I think that hopefully I'm someone that um, people that maybe don't even play sports, people in the band, people that are in the computers, I mean, people that do other sports that I don't do, uh, can come up to me and have a conversation with because they feel comfortable in doing so. Absolutely, and I'm sure that will take place. All right, let's circle back a little bit more to our culture stuff. Tough question to really think about here. In terms of youth sports, what would the 18-year-old Sean today say to a 10-year-old Sean? Well, the biggest thing I think would be too much of playing a sport isn't always good. And I've seen it with a couple of my friends is um, – and really kind of with my brother, uh, Luke, who's in the fourth grade, I'm kind of, you're reliving it to an extent of what you did. And um, I, I kind of, him and my parents kind of know, or my parents and I know kind of what my experience was. And we've seen that uh, oversaturation of one sport just absolutely kills people. And um, like playing AAU at an early age, can really burn you out um, just doing stuff constantly uh, focusing on one sport um, kind of having no social life because you're all into one sport uh, it, it really tires I've seen it tire people out and then by the time they're a junior in high school when you're supposed to be having your most success in that sport you peaked when you were 12 and you don't love that sport anymore and um, I think 10 year old Sean would say that I wanted to play baseball year-round. I wanted to play football year-round. But uh, the best thing that my dad ever did for me was not allowing me to play AAU when I was 13 because he said that I didn't appreciate it as much. And I didn't. And it really redeveloped why I loved playing baseball and how much I enjoyed it because I wasn't playing it. And then if you're playing it constantly, you can never appreciate kind of that first thing that drew you to it. The second thing I would say is, as I said, I, I'm competitive, would not to be a competitive jerk. Sometimes if it was a big game, I would get so, especially if I wasn't playing well, I'd get so in my own head and I would lash out sometimes and it, it would just be for random things and I would just say, don't do that. And then finally I'd say, don't care about what other people think because even if you think they do, they really don't. And I always used to think so much about what my friends thought of me playing really all the way until high school. And then I just realized it doesn't matter. As it really doesn't. Just if you know you're doing well, it doesn't matter whether anyone else thinks you're doing well. If you're doing something to the best of your ability, 
why does it matter whether someone says that you, they don't think you're good or not? It, right. it really doesn't. So and that's like something it. I focused really a lot on as a kid, and now I barely don't. Three really good pieces of advice to 10-year-old Sean, and let's hope that Luke's going to listen to this and, and actually uh, listen to what Big Brother says on this. All right, next question. Um, as a guy that um, preaches culture, uh, a guy that reads culture and leadership like other people watch you know, football games and things like that, um, it's heartbreaking to me when I see team cultures that aren't good, and for whatever reason it might be aren't good. A lot of it I actually, um, you know, there's a lot of blame to go around with coaches and stuff. There's also blame to go around with the kids themselves and their peers. What would you say to your peers about how important it is to build team culture from the actual player aspect? Well, I think it's extremely important. And the number one that I think of uh, at the high school level is the hesitancy of when you're an upperclassman or underclassmen to go to those upperclassmen. So I think the biggest thing is that you have to be someone that is approachable and that you kind of take, I mean, some of my uh, kind of the teams that I got the most out of in high school, I've had upperclassmen kind of take me under their wing. And uh, I mean, you're an underclassman, you don't have your license. It's the best thing in the world to go somewhere with an upperclassman, go get Panera or go somewhere. Uh, and I think that that's an important part of like kind of building that culture um, kind of between upper and underclassmen. I also think creating unifying factors, like I said, like uh, if you have a team joke, team jokes, or even if you have a team enemy, like if you can't stand that team, uh, it's kind of, I've found that that's been unifying for teams. Um, and then thirdly, I think do things outside of sports. Like I said earlier, go get five guy, go to a movie, go watch a game somewhere. Uh, that more than anything, I think brings a team closer together because you're, talking about stuff that's really not related to the sport and you're just kind of creating friendships and relationships and you've seen it in all sports friends usually play the best together because they're the most comfortable with each other right all right so there's some there's some team cultures out there that aren't great like i said what would you say to coaches that have maybe programs that either don't have a culture or their culture is suffering as a player, what would you say to a coach that maybe needs some help in this area? I think number one, you have to be, you have to have a connection with your players. If there's no connection with your players, there's going to be no success as a program. Uh, you, I've found, and I think my friends have found that with a coach, you want someone that you can go to with anything, literally anything, and you want them to be able to not get mad, take a deep breath. And kind of tell you what they would do and you want guidance someone that's going to be able to that you can even joke with someone seen as a friend more than a coach and I've definitely found that with coach Dubs and I, I'm extremely grateful for that uh, and I think all of the seniors on that team are I mean uh, it's just uh, we see them in the hall and we stay up there for 10 minutes even if it means we're late to class just because we enjoy it and it I mean stuff like that just helps the team be even more successful. Um, the second thing off of that is you have to be relatable as a coach. Uh, you have to come up with things that you can connect to your players about. And at the same time, it could be jokes and it could be an enemy. It could even be the NFL games or something like that. You just have to have something that's not forced, but that just is a natural conversation that you can build that relationship with. And with 
great relationships with players to coaches. You usually see teams that play better, too. Finally, I think it's important for coaches to be a presence outside of sports season. Um, if you're someone that's only going to be there and checking in during the season, it, it's kind it's really it, you're going to be tough to build a cu- good culture like that. You have to be someone that checks in about anything, whether it may be family or school. It doesn't even have to be about a sport. But I think if you're a ghost in the other nine months of the year that that sport's not being played, you're not going to have a good culture because people aren't able to develop a relationship with you. So we talk a lot a bit about what coaches need to do, what players need to do. Let me throw a, a little wrench into this. Um, you know, I, I love communities that rally around their their high school programs and not saying that sports is more important than other clubs and things like that. But what can a community do in general to help the culture of a sports program? Well, I, there really is no uh, better feeling in it stinks that we won't have this this year, and uh, I, I'm sure all teams can speak to this. When you have uh, a massive fan base, like at the football games on a Friday night, I mean, there it, it is really no. It, it just drives you even more to see that people care about that team that much, and you really care from the time you're in third grade. I mean, I went to varsity football games my whole life. Every Friday that there was a home game, it was. We'd go on that side field, which, of course, is mayhem. you got people tackling each other and doing everything like that. But at the same time, you're watching the game, and you're just – you can't wait to get on that field. And it really builds a uh, kind of a good community culture around that team. It, it, I mean, you look up to the players so much on that team, and you don't even know half of them. Mm. And I think when you see a community do that, it makes you play better in the moment too. Um, I mean, some people, I think North Hanover specifically, some places crack under the pressure of a whole town watching. I think you've seen that North Hanover really doesn't. Um, and that we sometimes, we usually play our best in front of that whole crowd, whether that be at Gillette Stadium with God knows how many people were there or uh, the basketball team at Burlington and that tiny gym where it was packed to the brim or even the hockey team last year. Uh, the Chumsford Forum that was packed. I mean, you see teams continually play better when the whole community is behind them and the whole student body is watching. Yeah, for sure. All right, so you're a high school kid. You've, you've mentioned a lot of your mentors slash uh, coaches, whether it be Coach Dubs or, you know, a Jacob Bowden or, or some of the other people. When you look at either the college game or the pro game, is there, a, is there a coach out there that you love their culture or what they're doing that you'd love to play for? Uh, well, I, I think uh, for me personally, I think Nick Saban would be one. And I know he's kind of a rough and tough guy, but uh, he they don't care at Alabama what people on ESPN are saying. They really don't. And I think when you see how much those players love Nick Saban, I mean, you, I don't know if you saw that recruiting oh, pitch yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, he just – and he has just such a connection with them and every single one in the NFL – uh, will rave about Coach Saban, and I think it's accountability. But at the same time, is it? It's if there's a problem, we're gonna figure it out, no matter what it takes. And I think a program like that, where it's the good mix of accountability, but at the same time, uh, that just relationships, I think, would be awesome to play for. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a big believer. I, um, he can be rough and tumble a little bit, but uh, the culture at Alabama is amazing. Granted, he gets the best players every year, but that doesn't automatically make you win if you don't have a culture, and they have a very good culture. Uh, for me, uh, as you know, I'm a big basketball guy. So uh, for me, ten Tony Bennett at Virginia has an unbelievable culture. Um, and I think they proved a couple of years ago when being the first team to be upset by a 16 seed came back and won the national championship the next year. That only happens because of the culture. And he, unlike Nick Saban, doesn't necessarily get the best players every year. But he builds a nice culture with that. And uh, it, you know, for me, if I was a young guy being recruited, I'd love to play for Tony Bennett and uh, in Virginia, and you'd like to play for Coach Saban and the and the Bama Tide. So, all right, couple things here, and we're gonna wrap up. Um, give me the skinny on uh, Coach Dubs' Scarlet Knights in fall two, which is gonna be starting a week from Monday. All my football players are going to be leaving me a little bit early in the winter season because of this new fall, too, so you guys can get to play football. Uh, how good are the Knights going to be? Uh, well, I think we're going to have a solid season, and I think that's due to this year more than any other. We have experience, and I think some of the – I mean, one of the main reasons we came off to that rocky start last year, and I'm not making excuses, but we had a lot of guys that had never played a full varsity game at all. Um, and now this year we return – Basically, our whole offensive line, our quarterback, our running back, our tight end, a couple receivers, most of our front seven defensively. And in this craziest of seasons, we don't have to put in a lot of new stuff. We know what the deal is. We know um, what to expect, and we know what we're doing. And I think that that, in this season more than anything, is uh, extremely valuable. And then also, I think we have a new sense of toughness this year, too, uh, that we've kind of developed um I, I mean the best football teams are the toughest teams and i think now that most of us are seniors uh we know like i said we know what to expect and we're gonna go out and we're gonna be a tough team and hopefully that's gonna translate yeah i mean i think you guys um the talk is that you guys are going to be pretty good who knows what this year is going to be like i'm just happy that you're actually going to be able to play and hopefully uh just like the basketball program hopefully you'll be able to get you know, through the whole season on that. I usually try to get to one game a year. Um, what's going to be good at the pandemic is we'll be able to live stream the game, so I'll probably be able to see more games than I have in the past, and uh, hopefully you guys will have the best of luck. All right, I can't let you uh, leave without uh, grilling you a little bit. Um, if people don't know Sean, Sean's very opinionated, uh, you know, politically. He's got some opinions of what the country needs, what the country doesn't need. So uh, I just appointed you POTUS. You were elected by me. Um, what's the five things that Sean would do as the president of these United States to accomplish uh, and to benefit this country and in, in maybe during this new, new way that we are going to be hopefully heading towards? Well, number one, I think the most important thing is small business reform, or not reform, but small business help. Uh, the fact that we haven't gotten a stimulus bill, kind of frustrating, and I think uh, what Dave Portnoy did with the Barstool Fund was yes. spectacular, and that's something that I think we need more a part of. I mean, they are the backbone of the U.S. economy, and I think it's extremely important that we help them out. Um, number two is term limits. I think that you see people in the Senate and in the House of Representatives that have been there for 30 years, and they just kind of waver with the times just to get votes. I mean, they, I mean, they just want to stay in power. They really don't do a lot to help the people in their district that elect them or in their state. Um, 
they kind of let those go down the barrel. Meanwhile, they collect their massive paycheck from the stock market, which, um, I mean, they're allowed to, but, I mean, outside donations. And I just think that we'd be way more successful um, if you kind of saw term limits. Number three, I think, would be criminal justice reform, seeing um, some of, like, wrongful convictions uh, overturned, I think, especially now in this new age of technology. We've seen a decent amount of those, and uh, I think if you just continue to um, kind of make the system more fair for all, I, I think it'd be really beneficial. Um, number four, I think, foreign peace negotiation, making sure that uh, we don't go in anymore. 15-year, 18-year long wars, just making sure that uh, our first step is through peace and not through military conflict and throwing people uh, onto a battlefield. And number five, and this is something that, um, of course, we're living through right now, would be getting the COVID vaccine out, making sure, sure that's quick, effective, um, trying to get as many doses as we can, get as many people vaccinated as we can, as quick as we can. And um, I think it's important to do this phased approach, but I think, uh, like teachers, I think should be vaccinated. I mean, you have to get all these frontline people and the elderly vaccinated, but I think it's important and to gain trust um, and I think the trust of the public is there and just get it out to the general public pretty soon so that we can try and get back to a sense of normal by I think this fall would be a good goal. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like your five points. Um, I, I don't disagree with anyone. I, I might disagree with the order. I, I'd like to get COVID-19 dealt with right away and, uh, and then we can fall into place with pretty much everything else. But um, obviously, I was a big supporter last spring when a lot of our businesses in town here were being shuttered down and trying to bring attention to, you know, supporting our local businesses. But uh, all good points, Sean. And uh, I would not be surprised that someday that you, uh, after you become a successful financier, that you uh, run for uh, run office. That would not shock me. All right, Sean, this was great. Uh, most people know that I like to try to do the podcast between 40 and 50 minutes, and we're running up on that. The bet downstairs with all your peers was that you would talk for an hour and a half. Um, and I said, well, we'll try to not make it a whole 90 minutes. So this was great, Sean. I appreciate you coming on the You Senate podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it coming on. And we'll get this up shortly. And as we finish every podcast, we always finish by saying too much passion is never enough passion.